flesh. We get to start with Romans today. That should excite you. Okay, great. Um, I want to introduce you all this morning to a couple. One of my favorite couples. One of the best couples you'll ever meet. They've helped me out so many times, so many ways. I feel very connected to this couple, very close to them, to the point really of sentimentality. I feel like they're a part of my life, an irreplaceable part of my life. Without them, I just don't even want to think about it. Okay? Here they are. My winter gloves. I love these guys. Special place in my heart for this couple right here. These two fellows have kept my hands warm when it was 15 degrees below zero outside. They've helped me make snowballs and snow forts. They've helped me shovel snow off my sidewalk and driveway. One time, check this out. My back windshield blew up when it was real cold. One day, driving home, had been in the car for 15, 20, 30 minutes, and I'm driving up the road. Get ready, this is going to hurt your ears. Are you ready? I'm driving up the road and... <laughs> and I'm thinking, am I shot? Am I bleeding? What's going on here? I mean, seriously, that's what's going on. I didn't know what had happened. I was just driving up the road, and my back window exploded. It was like 15 below outside. I don't know why it happened. I guess just the cold... Carl was 10, 11 years old, and it had just had enough, I guess. And it blew up. And let me tell you something. These fellas here came in real handy, no pun intended. (laughs) These gloves kept my hands warm on the drive home, and the next morning I had to drive out and get that window replaced, and there was nothing covering that, and it was about 10, 15 below. So I'm driving in my car with these two boys on right here. These are good gloves. I love them. They keep my hands warm. And I am very thankful for them. So now Romans. If you would please stand for the reading of the word. We're going to be reading Romans 8, verses 4 through 8 today. Start in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me pray. 
God, would you speak hard truth to us today? Would you speak clear truth to us? And may we recognize you, God, as sovereign, as better, as the one who has a better way than the way that we would prepare for ourselves. Holy Spirit, teach us and enable us to receive what you have for us in your word. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Where have we been in Romans? We're about halfway done a year later. But we're going to be in chapter 8 for a while, so don't get in too big of a hurry. We said that the theme of Romans is how to be right with God. And in our outline, we've seen three points so far. Number one, sin, the need for being right with God. And who did that apply to? Everybody. Everybody who's ever been conceived outside of Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was conceived in sin, born a sinner. And we said in that that you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. That's important. We'll talk about that today. Then we saw point two, justification by faith, the means for being right with God. There's only one way to be made right with God, and that is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that faith itself is a gift from God. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ and no other way. That brought us into once we are born again, once we are believers, point three is blessings the results of being right with God. And they are phantasmic. They are wonderful. And we're going to spend a long time in chapter 8 talking about those, but we've already seen through chapter 5, verse 1, through where we are today, some of those blessings. We've seen Asian Station, and I hope this is ingrained in your heart and in your mind. Expiation, God takes the guilt of our sin away from us, and I'm doing a simple version this morning so we can get through it. Propitiation, God vented the wrath for our sin Not on us, but on Christ. Christ became our propitiation. Imputation, He gave us Christ's righteousness. He imputed to us the very righteousness of Christ, which led us to a state of justification, which means I have the right to stand in God's presence. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I have the right to stand in God's presence. I who was born a sinner... And then once we are justified, we start the process of sanctification. Now, Will and I talked last week, and he made a good point. We have been sanctified, and we are being sanctified. At one point in, well, before the foundation of the world, we'll say in salvation too, we were saved, which means God set us apart. Sanctification means set apart. So there was was a one-time act where we were sanctified, but now in the day-to-day living, we're in the process of becoming sanctified more and more holy. So when we speak of sanctification here, we're talking about the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Justification is the legal proclamation that I have the righteousness of Christ. So in the eyes of God, there is therefore now no condemnation. That's justification. Sanctification is I'm starting to act like it, like I should, more and more every day, hopefully. And then ultimately salvation Before the foundation of the world, I was saved. At one point in my life, I was saved. I am being saved. And one day, I will be saved. Those are all true. Asian station. 
And this revolves around what? Our union with Christ. We have been made one with Christ. Again, that is fantastic news. We've been crucified with Him. Our old man was crucified with Him. Our sins were carried away on the cross. We will be raised with Him just like He was raised. One day we'll, we'll be raised in a glorified body. No more aches, no more pains. Yeah, just getting old stuff isn't for sissies, is it? Dadgummit, tell my knees. One day we will be raised with Him, not just in a glorified body, but in a perfect state of fellowship with Him. But all this happened, we were placed in Christ, we were made one with Christ, crucified with Him, we'll be raised with Him, so that we might walk in newness of life now. And that happens as we know it, as we believe it, as we reckon it to our account and as we do it. Know, believe, reckon, do. And we focused on chapters 4 through 7. Chapter 4 showed us that we were justified. Chapter 5 said since we're justified we have peace with God. Chapter 6 said since we were justified we have freedom from sin and we are dead to sin. And Romans chapter 7 told us that we were dead to the law leading us to the state of Therefore now, no condemnation, which was 8-1. But not just no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's your union with Christ. That was chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, that brings us to our text today. Which actually, the text itself is verses 5 through 8, but I wanted to read verse 4 with it because we'll refer back to it. So let's dig into verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Oh look, what's the first word of our passage? Who'd have ever thunk it? that Paul would start a thought with the word for. I really think for is the theme of Romans because every week, if you're looking at your Bibles, look at verse 5, 4. Verse 6, 4. Verse 7, 4. I'm like, really? 4, 4, 4, 4, 4, 4. <clears throat> Anybody know people, <laughs> and you do because I'm probably one of them, know people that say the same word over and over when they pray? Father, thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for this food, Father. Father, we're so thankful, Father, for you being our Father, Father. You're going, God, we just ask that you would bless us. God, that you would just be kind to us. God, that you would just go with us. And you're like, all right, stop saying that. Because after a while, that's all I hear. I feel like that when I'm reading these passages in Romans. Four, 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 everything. And what he's doing is he's forming a chain. And we've talked about this before. But this passage connects back to the last passage that we looked at. So if you're looking at verse 5 and you see the word for, you know we've got to look back at where we've been so that we can see where we're going. Now last week, we looked at the fact that we were set free by the law of the Spirit of life from the law of sin and death. And we saw that God sent His Son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin in order to condemn sin in the flesh. And this was so that, and this was the point of last week, 
so that according to verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And that end result, that goal, is what everything else led up to last week. God did what God did, and He did it in and through Christ. Why? So that we might live in such a way that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now that's a tall order because we've said many times through this study that we can't keep the law. If we could keep the law, that's the way we would have to be saved, but we can't keep the law. Paul would say in Galatians that if you break one law, you're guilty of all of it. But God did what God did and what we looked at last week so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And if you'll remember, the pattern that we looked at last week was therefore, for, for, in order that. That was the sequence. And we said the order was very important last week. Remember the Rube Goldberg machine? One thing connected to another, connected to another, and it's important to know the relationship between the therefore, for, for, and in order that? You're like, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> you can look it up. It's on the website. It's in the podcast. <clears throat> And what we look at this week is still going to revolve around the main issue of the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. But what we'll see this week is how not to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And the way we do not fulfill the righteous requirement of the law is in and by our flesh. You want to not fulfill the law? Be in your flesh. That's what we're going to look at today. So, <clears throat> look at the next clause after the 4 in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. This is going to set the stage for this message and at least one to follow it, maybe two. What does it mean to live according to the flesh? What does it mean to set your mind on the things of the flesh? That's a, those are two very important questions that we've got to answer today. So that's what we're going to try to do. By way of review, we looked at this a couple of times actually in our study of Romans already. What does the word flesh mean? It's not just skin. It's not just this stuff that covers our bones and ligaments and muscles. You, trust me, you, don't have, you can read along with me here. I'm going to read this. The word is sarks. S-A-R-X. Any word that has an X in it. No, we better stop. So, Sarks. <clears throat> it's translated as flesh 147 times, carnal twice, carnally minded once, and fleshly once. It's used of natural or physical origin, generation, or relationship. So, natural. Born of natural generation. The sensuous nature of man. The animal nature without any suggestion of depravity. Hold on to that word. We'll get back to it. The animal nature with cravings which incite to sin. The physical nature of a man as subject to suffering. The flesh, and it denotes mere human nature. The earthly nature of man apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. Now that's a lot of words. That's a lot to process. So what I want to do is I kind of want to walk through that definition because it's very important that we understand this word sarks. So what is the flesh? <clears throat> and I'm <clears throat> reading these one by one basically. What is the flesh? It means that part of us 
that is of natural or physical origin. Well, that's not too bad, right? I like a body. I'm glad to have a body. Born of natural generation. Again, not too bad. That's all of us, right? Everybody was born of natural generation. You were. Trust me. I promise you were. (coughs) The sensuous nature of man. Okay, that suggests a little bit more, maybe a little bit more negative. And sensuous just means senses. Your body has senses. You feel things. You hear things. You see things. You smell things. That's your senses. How many senses do we have? Five. Okay. Just just making sure you're awake. Six if you have common sense. Six if you have common sense. <laughs> Most of us have five then. <clears throat> common sense died like in the 70s, I think. <clears throat> we need to have his funeral. So the sensuous nature of man. The animal nature. Now that one stings a little bit, right? We don't like to think of ourselves as animals, but... We do have an animal type of nature. The animal nature with cravings which incite to sin. Yeah, that. And then let's skip to the end one. Denotes mere human nature. The earthly nature of man apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. Now, when we talk about the flesh, it's what we're talking about. All of that. Now, wait just a minute, you might say. I can jive with the natural, sensuous, prone-to-sin thought, but does that really mean that in my flesh, I am opposed to God? I could maybe buy indifferent to God, but opposed? And here's where we need clarity especially in light of this passage. If I am to understand what it means to live according to the flesh and what it means to set my mind on the things of the flesh, I have to grasp this concept, this truth, in its totality. While the flesh certainly does carry within its definition the animal nature without any suggestion of depravity, the rest of the definition pretty much spells out depravity to a T. And that's what we really want to explore today. What is depravity? What does the theological term total depravity refer to? Anybody not heard that phrase before, total depravity? We're going to explore it today. Our definition for flesh gives us the details of total depravity. And so does our passage today. And we need to understand the definition to see the clear distinction between those in the flesh... And those in the Spirit. And let me just say, at this point, all we're talking about today is those in the flesh. We're not going to get into those in the Spirit. And let me say up front, those in the flesh are those who have not been born again. The unsaved person, the unregenerate person, is in the flesh. Have no option. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those in the flesh and those in the Spirit. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And what we're looking at today is those who are not in Christ who are in the flesh. That's what we're going to look at. So, 
To start this thought simply about depravity, think about what this definition is saying. Those who live according to the flesh and who set their minds on the things of the flesh live and think about natural things. They think about sensuous things, animal things, things that create cravings which incite to sin, things related to human nature, earthly things, things apart from the divine influence, things that are prone to sin, and things that are opposed to God. That's just using that definition to define those who are in the flesh. That's kind of somber, isn't it? So these people think and live in such a way that the physical nature dominates. Their senses, their wants, their sinful nature are the ones driving the car, so to speak. Both their inner lives, their thoughts, and their outer lives, their actions, are completely based on what their physical nature desires. That's all they know. Now let me ask you this question. Is everything that their physical nature desires and wants bad? Food? Sleep? Laughter? Love? Are those things bad? Touchdowns. Touchdowns. I love touchdowns. Depends on who's scoring them. Sometimes I hate touchdowns. A cowboy touchdown, there's not much worse in the world than a Dallas Cowboys touchdown. I hate the Cowboys. I said it from the pulpit. (laughs) That's the fleshly desires in me. So, their senses, their wants, their sinful nature are driving the car. Both their inner lives, their thoughts, and their outer lives, their actions are completely based on what their physical nature desires. And that's not all bad. Keep that in mind. It's all they know. Now this is contrasted in verse 5 with those who live and set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And again, we won't be discussing them today, just the fleshy folk. And what is the outcome of this type of life? Well, wait a minute. I've fooled myself. There it is, Romans 8, 6. What is the outcome of this type of life? Verse 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So when we talk about those who are in the flesh, what kind of picture does it paint? As they want good things, as they desire touchdowns and a cold pop, What's the end result of their lifestyle, of their thought pattern? It's death. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's not a very rosy picture. To set the mind on the flesh is death. Do you need a definition of death? It means absence of life. Okay? So what is the result of a mindset on the flesh? A mindset on the flesh leads to an absence of life. Do you get that? A person living in the flesh whose mind is set on the flesh has no life. You say, but they're alive, right? Right? Are they alive? The Bible speaks of this. 
talking about depravity and an absence of life in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Speaking of somebody without life, somebody without spiritual life, who is living in the flesh, here he's talking to believers who once walked that way. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, so you were dead while you were living, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." We can see our definition and our thought pattern clearly here in Ephesians. You were dead, walking according to the course of this world, in the passions of our flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. And then God made you alive even when you were dead. Now when you notice the close harmony of what it says in Ephesians to what we just saw in Romans, first of all, thank God for the harmony of Scripture. No contradiction anywhere. You say, well, now I've seen a couple. I promise you haven't. You've seen what you may think are contradictions, but I promise you the Bible works in perfect concert and harmony with itself to give us an accurate picture of God. So when you see what you see in Romans and what you see, when you see what you see in Ephesians, you're seeing the same thing, the exact same thing. We were dead, but by grace we've been saved. It's shown in Colossians 2.13 as well. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. You see it again? Those in the uncircumcision of the flesh are dead in their trespasses. Flesh equals sin equals death. No life opposed to God dominated by physical influences and desires and no choice in the matter. That is total depravity. This standing not only implies, but it overtly shows that without a supernatural work of God giving new life, birthing you again, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. Listen, unable to save yourself or break the hold of the flesh. Wayne Grudem, whose systematic theology is probably my favorite. If you're looking for a systematic theology book, I would highly recommend Wayne Grudem's. I don't agree with everything he says, but I'm not real smart either. He is. We have that here? Awesome. In his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem defines total depravity, or what he actually calls total inability, as, quote, Man's total lack of spiritual good and inability to do good before God. Let me read that again. Total depravity or total inability 
is man's total lack of spiritual good and inability to do good before God, who ultimately defines what is good. God does. And in our flesh, we are totally unable, totally depraved, and we cannot do good before God in our flesh. Now he goes on to say, and here's a long quote, and I'm going to read you his quote that has some Scripture in it. I'm not going to put the Scripture up here. I'm just going to read through it. Grudem says this, It's not just that some parts of us are sinful and others are pure. Rather, every part of our being is affected by sin. Our intellects, our emotions and desires, our hearts, which is the center of our desires and decision-making processes, our goals and motives, and even our physical bodies. Paul says in Romans 7.18, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. And to the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. That's Titus 1.15. Moreover, Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt who can understand it. That's Jeremiah 17.9. In these passages, Grudem says... Scripture is not denying that unbelievers can do good in human society in some senses, but it is denying that they can do any spiritual good or be good in terms of relationship with God. Apart from the work of Christ in our lives, we are all like all other unbelievers who are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And that last part is a quote from Ephesians 4. 18. End of quote. And this is the state of the one who lives according to the flesh and sets their mind on the things of the flesh. That's why verse 6 in Romans 8 says that the mind set on the flesh is death. Death. There is literally no spiritual life, no ability whatsoever to overcome the death that comes from being in the flesh. And those who are not born again are in the flesh, and they set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's all they can do. Somebody hit a squirrel today, right? The rumor is there's a dead squirrel down here, okay? Just a ground squirrel. (laughs) Say that squirrel is literally dead. That its life has left its body, right? Brain no longer functioning. Heart no longer pumping. And I walk up to it and say, Get up! Get out of the road! You're going to get hit! Again? Move! Stupid squirrel. That is the state of the non-born-again person. They're dead. We'll get back to that in a minute. Need more proof? Look at Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Two big points here. First... The mind that is set on the flesh is what? What's it say? Hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Why? Because it cannot. So remember, back in our definition of flesh, we said that the flesh is prone to sin 
and opposed to God. Here, we see that spelled out clearly. Hostile to God means hostile to God. Don't you come in here, God. You're not welcome here. I'm going to fight against you, God. Matter of fact, I'm waging a war against you as we speak, God. That's what the mindset on the flesh does. It's all it can do. The mind set on the flesh can be defined, the word uh, hostile, can be defined as enmity or hatred. Now get a hold of that. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. The mindset on the flesh is at enmity with God. The mindset on the flesh hates God. That's pretty plain from the text, right? So that's the first point in the verse. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. The mindset on the flesh hates God. And who are we talking about? Every single one of us before we're born again. And if you're not born again, this is describing you. You say, well, I don't hate God. Your mind does. Your flesh does. And the flesh has control of you. And I'm not accusing you. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying you're lost and you're dead. There's hope. We'll get to that. So that was the first big point. The mindset on the flesh is hostile to God in this verse. And then we see not only is the mindset on the flesh hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law. Why? It can't. There's your total inability again. Can someone who has not received the life of God as a gift by the grace of God do good things? Nice things? Absolutely they can. But knowing that those things do not commend us to God and that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, we know that those good or nice things aren't things of the Spirit. They are actually acts, listen, that are hostile to God. The nice things, they're hostile to God because they aren't in line with the law of God. Because the mindset on the flesh does not submit to God's law because it cannot. It can not. Why? Because it is devoid of God's life. It is devoid of God's power. It is devoid of God's love and God's holiness. Even the best deeds done by those who are in the flesh, not born again, are acts of hostility toward God. The best ones they do. All of the righteousnesses are filthy rags. Our righteous deeds, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's all the flesh can do. Here I'm going to quote Wayne Grudem again. He puts it this way. In terms of bearing fruit for God's kingdom and doing what pleases Him, Jesus says in John 15, 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. In fact, unbelievers are not pleasing to God if for no other reason, simply because their actions do not proceed from faith in God or from love to Him. And according to Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Still quoting Grudem here. When Paul's readers were unbelievers, he tells us in Ephesians 2, which we just read, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Unbelievers are in a state of bondage or enslavement to sin because John 8.34 says, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Though from a human standpoint, people might be able to do much good, 
Isaiah affirms that all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, Isaiah 64, 6. And the literal translation is menstrual garment. Your best righteous deeds in your flesh are like a polluted menstrual garment before God. Dad gummit. Anybody see Because of Winn-Dixie? Read the book, see the movie. At one point, Opal was talking to the Dewberry boys. They were knuckleheads. And she said something to them to cut them down. Or I don't know what she said. And one of the Dewberry boys said, Dang, Opal! That's all he had. That's all he, had. <laughs> he couldn't say anything to her. And I read this and I'm like, Dang, Opal! All at, our best deeds in the flesh are like polluted menstrual garments before God. Dang, Opal! Unbelievers are not even able to understand the things of God correctly, for the natural man does not receive the gifts or the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Nor can we come to God in our own power, for Jesus says in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In your flesh you are dead. You are hostile to God. You cannot submit to God's law. I I hope that really makes you uneasy. I hope that disturbs you. I hope that makes you look at yourself and ask yourself, what in the world's going on in my life? What in the world am I doing? What is my mind set upon? What am I thinking about? What am I doing? Because all these facts, all these scriptures and their harmony together point to a person, a mind, a life that does not and cannot submit to God's law and a mind and a life that is hostile to God. And then we see Romans 8, 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please Let me tell you what, guys, that's a black, bleak, dark picture. And we need to be somber sometimes. We need to stand before God sometimes and put our hands over our mouths and say, You're God in heaven, and here am I on earth. I'm going to let my words be few. You want to argue with God about this? I would be very careful arguing with the sovereign God the Almighty God when it comes to this. And boy, we're prone to because we are hostile to God in our flesh. Who are you, God, to determine that I'm bad? Who are you, God, to determine that I'm helpless? I'll show you. (laughs) Tell me I'm bad. Tell me I can't help myself. I don't need God anyway. Do you hear the life of the flesh? The death of the flesh? Do you see the simple truth that brings all of this to a plain conclusion? Those who are not born again, who do not have the Spirit of God, the life of God, the power of God within them, that are in the flesh, and they cannot, cannot, cannot please God. It is not 
possible. Do you understand that? Telling an unsaved person to try to get to God. Tell them to try harder. Tell them to do better. Tell them to clean themselves up and get their act straight is as foolish as telling these gloves here to go dig a hole for me. Come on, gloves! Get busy! I'll go get you a shovel. And you'll have a good shovel. And you get busy moving that dirt. Come on. It's not going to move itself. Get busy. Do better. Work harder. Heck, just work. Do something. What is wrong with you? Are you stupid? You don't even care? Dude, do you even work out? That's what I thought. But these are good gloves. Aren't they? Man, they've done some good things. Some really good stuff. They kept me warm. They helped me make snowballs. They dug me out of blizzards. But not in and of themselves, they haven't. Nor could they. It is impossible for these gloves to work. It is impossible for these gloves to do better. It is impossible for these gloves to try harder to make me happy. They are powerless in and of themselves. They have no life in and of themselves. It is impossible for them to work. And these gloves are completely useless to anyone unless they are invaded from the outside. Uh Uh-oh. All of a sudden, this glove is alive. All of a sudden, this glove has a lot more potential. Actually, this glove now has potential because it has power in it. It has life in it. This one here, no life. Get busy. Look look what your buddy's doing. Look. He's doing good things, man. Why can't you do good things? What's wrong? Don't you want to do good things? I remember you doing good things before. Things that helped me out. Things that were nice. They have to be invaded from the outside. They have to be taken over by someone other than themselves. They have to have life put into them. They may be designed well. They may be appealing to the eye. But unless my hands are in them, unless my power is channeled through them, they are of no use to me whatsoever. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Now, I will say this, that glove is not hostile to me right now. So the analogy is not perfect. But that glove can't help me at all unless I put it on. I want to go back and read these passages again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. When you were, God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus... You're dead. If you are here and you do know Jesus, the very life of Christ empowers you to do His will. And I can yell at that fella all I want to. It's not going to do a thing. That's total depravity. That's total inability. And that is all of us unless the powerful grace of God is introduced into our lives. We are all of us in the flesh and live according to the flesh and set our minds on the things of the flesh and we are dead in our sins and transgressions and we are all hostile toward God and do not submit to the law of God, nor can we, unless God gives His life to us. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's not improbable, it's impossible. It's not unlikely, it's undoable. We need to know that. This is our natural state. This is how we come out of the womb. Every one of us. And if left to our own, we will never seek after God. We will never keep the law of God because we can not. So... When we talk about living in and by the Spirit, I want you to remember what we've talked about today. I want you to remember your natural state. And actually your natural state, sin crawls up in there and starts fighting against God. That's your natural state. It's not just dead and inactive. It's being used as a puppet Scripture says that we are slaves to the enemy when we're unbelievers, when we're in the flesh, being held captive to do His will. In the flesh, you're Satan's glove. 
dang, Opal. So what do we do? What's our reaction to this? First and foremost, if you're not a believer, you need to admit the truth. This is my natural state. This is what God says about me. You say, well, I don't know that I can. Tell you what, get on your face. God, make this real to me. God, breathe your life into me. I recognize that I am a dead, lifeless sinner apart from you. Admit your sin. Admit that you are in the flesh and that you need a Savior. And the Savior that we celebrated today through the Lord's table, through the music, through the Word, is Jesus Christ. There's no other way. We are justified, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ. And when we admit that we're sinners and say that we need a Savior and recognize Jesus as that Savior and call out to Him, please save me, please forgive me, please give me new life. God is faithful. Now what if you're a believer? First of all, I would call you to remember those days right there. Dead in your sins and your trespasses. Without the life of God. Without any hope of pleasing God. Remember them and rejoice that you have been delivered from them. But don't stop there. Romans 1, 16 says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Remember from whence you came and preach the gospel because God will not save anyone apart from the gospel. When you walk across an old dead glove laying in the road, figuratively speaking, Preach the gospel. And God places His life inside of that person. And He will not do it any other way than through the proclamation of the gospel. So believer, remember where you came from and preach the gospel to every creature is what Jesus said. Because that's the only hope anybody has of coming alive and being delivered from the power of their flesh. We should be a compassionate, loving, laying down our life kind of people so that we can preach the gospel to unbelievers and then trust the results to God. It's God that breathes life. It's God that empowers. It's God that puts His hand in the glove. And He brings the truth of that to people through the gospel. We need to be a gospel-proclaiming people. It's one thing to claim the gospel. It's another thing to proclaim it. Get out there and preach the gospel and watch what God does. Ezekiel saw vision. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, Ezekiel's a prophet in the Old Testament. God brought him to a valley and it was full of bones. Skeletons. Skeleton implies that people are what? Dead? God said, tell me, son of man, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel said, you know, God. And then God said, prophesy to the wind, son of man. Speak to the wind. You know what the word for wind is in the Old Testament? It's ruach. And it's the same word for spirit. 
So Ezekiel prophesied to the wind and he called for the wind to come. He called for the Spirit to come. And the Spirit came and he heard those bones starting to rattle. And they came together and formed people. And it says that muscle and sinew and flesh were put on them and they were raised up to be a mighty army by the very Word, the very breath, the very Spirit of God. Look at the world, Christian, and we'll finish. We see a bunch of dead people. We see a system that is decaying. Prophesy to the wind, child of God. Call for the Spirit of God and let Him move through you to proclaim the gospel, to bring life to dead people. Don't be content to walk by that glove and say, oh well, dead, nothing can be done. With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Speak to the wind. Preach the gospel, church. Let's pray. God, I gladly, joyfully, stand here and proclaim my total inability in and of myself. And God, I pray that you would convict those who are dead sitting in this building this morning. It's your work. And call upon the Spirit of God to convict sinners of their sin and their need for a Savior. I pray that you would show them their deadness and their need for life. We speak to the wind this morning, Father. Get these bones rattling. I cannot do it, but you can. Can these bones live again? You bet they can. By your doing, we are in Christ Jesus. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God, you sent your Son in the likeness of sinful flesh in order to condemn sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the power of the flesh but according to the power of the Spirit. God, we call upon the power of the Spirit this morning to do what we can't do. Bring new life and empower us to keep your law, God. Only you can. And I pray that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. We just stand and receive a benediction as we dismiss. He's good, church. He's good. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now to Him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.